On this episode of Progressive Palaver, the group discusses Yes's Big Generator. Hi and welcome to Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands, album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair, and on this episode of Progressive Palaver, I'm joined by my very good friend Ken Gregory in the Lean Configuration as we continue on in our revisit of Yes for Yes 50 and discuss Big Generator. I'm curious to sort of see where this conversation takes us tonight. Yeah, I think we're the middle ground for Big Generator. And clearly Paul is in the fan spectrum and Tom is in the faux spectrum. Tom is definitely in the faux spectrum. <laughs> Indeed. Positively Indeed. amazing. We were, in 1987, transitioning junior year of high school to a senior year of high school. That's correct. It would have been a very busy time uh, for us. And uh, lucky for us, it was a pretty active year for the types of artists that we uh, respected and listened to. I got to say, yes, wasn't. Uh, high on our radar you know we couldn't cover their songs we couldn't sing like john anderson you know fortunately paul latched onto this and in retrospect it was a huge influence on him and and a big influence on on us whether we knew it or not in the timeline of progressive rock 1987 just screams with the stuff that we like in addition to Yes's Big Generator, we have Rush with Hold Your Fire. <laughs> there you go. Yes, yes. Our, our lean episode. Uh, Pink Floyd had momentary lapse of reason. I really enjoyed that. That's one of the ones I have on vinyl from back in the day. Listen to that a lot. Good, good. We, we will get there. It might take us two years, but we'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there. Marillion had clutching at straws. Could we uh, not say enough good goodness about that? Well, apparently we didn't since we're planning on going back and saying more goodness about it. But that's a conversation for another day. Roger Waters had Radio Chaos. You know, Radio Chaos. Very interesting. I, I, I have a very difficult relationship with Roger Waters. And I remember <laughs> I, I think I've heard Radio Chaos like once in my life. And it, you know, I, I've been tempted to go back and and re-experience some some Roger Waters solo material now that I'm older and wiser. But yeah, I don't know. No doubt, no doubt. And uh, for those folks uh, who are interested, uh, also also this year uh, releases from Jethro Tull and King Diamond. But I am skipping to the what? pop influences. I, 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 but before you skip, though, the Jethro Tull, would that be Crest of a Knave? Oh, is this one of your uh, guilty pleasures? Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, I, I will have to admit that Crest of a Knave is a guilty pleasure of mine. OK, no doubt you have it on vinyl. I, I do, as a matter of fact. I, I actually have it on vinyl and CD. But uh, yeah, I, I, I had that on vinyl from back in the day. May take us three years, but we'll get to that. It's not the proggiest of Jethro Tull, but it is enjoyable. So I'm sorry, you okay. wanted to go on to the pop section. Oh, I always do. I can't help it. You know, just it was so influential to everyone in our generation. Appetite for destruction. Um, 
God, I yeah. can't stand it, but okay. Okay. I mean, I mean, you know, it, you just can't get I, away from those tunes. And, and I, 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 I don't deny that it's influential. It's just not my cup of tea. How about hysteria? Was that your cup of tea? Hysteria was very much my cup of tea. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> there, there are a couple of tracks on there I will never get out of my head, and I'm, I'm not complaining. I had this on cassette as well. Kiss me, kiss me, kiss me. The Cure. Oh, see, I wasn't into the Cure at this point, but I did, I did finally loop back around on that one, and that is, uh, that's a landmark. I know I saw you two live three or four times over the course of uh, a couple years in this period. The Joshua Tree, 1987. Wow, the Joshua. See, and this is this is so fascinating that the Joshua Tree is another album. You know, it was everywhere. It was pervasive. It was ubiquitous, and I didn't understand it. I, I didn't understand this album for probably three or four years. Um, the Joshua Tree, that is. And eventually I came around to it, but uh, I had a hard time. Like, what's all the fuss about? But it's worthy of being where it it is. This um, this is a tremendous year for music. This is like 1994 proportion. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, music of depth, music of um, sugar and sweet and everything, you know, trashy. Uh, Faith by George Michael. You'll never get that out of your head. Uh, I think R.E.M. was still credible in this period. They had the document album. An amazing year. <laughs> I don't know why this makes me laugh, but Fleet, Fleetwood Mac had Tango in the Night, which I recall as being just a huge, weird flop for an artist that I really liked. Um, but Whitesnake had the Whitesnake album. Uh, oh, Suzanne Vega. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what's Susanna Vega? Uh, Solitude Standing. Okay. Uh, Anthrax Among the Living. Oh, see, we got into that one, too. That was a, a yeah. Jay and Tom Veith sort of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Permanent Vacation, you know? I wasn't a big fan, but damn, they made a lot of money on that one. It tore the world <laughs> forever. Yeah, they did. We will never get away from this particular year, nor do we have to. That list is really, really stunning. That is a lot of quality albums and it would be i'd be interested in fact i probably will later on go back and look sort of a year before and after and see if that continues probably doesn't, oh sure at least yeah. not to that level but you had sort of mentioned that that paul was the gatekeeper for yes with big generator and i suspect that you're probably 100 percent correct on that especially given the fact that Paul seems to never forget anything. Clearly, this was, you know, his entry into Yes. There was an awareness of Yes, simply from, you know, the the their, their presence on classic rock radio in Philadelphia. Obviously, we had heard, you know, the, the, the tracks on, on classic Yes. And obviously, 90125, as we discussed last episode, you couldn't get away from Own Over Lonely Heart, even if you knew nothing else about it. You know, you couldn't get away from it. I'm going to assume that I probably heard a lot of this in Paul's car is is probably what got me into it. And then eventually it seems that that Paul and I saw the big generator tour twice. I've got ticket stubs to prove this, even if wow. I didn't remember. 
even if I didn't remember seeing them them twice on uh, on that tour. But I, I want to say, and, and I I related the story probably in in the first yes episode that we did. So it was either the second big generator show or it was one of the ABWH shows. It was one of those two. I don't remember which one doesn't really matter. The important thing is I remember being in the spectrum and the band was playing heart of the sunrise and the tumblers clicked from that moment on. Even if I didn't know everything right then, I wanted to know everything, and I was able to at least start down the road to understanding what I was dealing with here, and it was it was phenomenal. I can still very clearly picture the spectrum as a whole, and and I was just oh, there's something about that song. Even even now, when I listen to it, it kind of gives me goosebumps. I like the idea, the metaphor of your musical acceptance is this old school clock with tumblers. <laughs> Well, or you perhaps know. a padlock, some something dramatic. I like it. All right. So Big Generator was released on September 21st, 1987 on the Atco label. It was produced by, yes, Trevor Horn, Trevor Rabin and Paul DeVilliers, whoever he might be. And we need to sort of look into that. I'm on it, boss. The lineup is John Anderson on vocals, Trevor Rabin on vocals, acoustic and electric guitars, keyboards and string arrangements. Tony Kay is on the wikis, um, credited with Hammond organ and piano. Chris Squire has bass guitar and backing vocals. Alan White has drums, percussion, and backing vocals. Track listing is Rhythm of Love, Big Generator, Shoot High, Aim Low, Almost Like Love, Love Will Find a Way, Finalize, I'm Running, and finally Holy Lamb, Song for Harmonic Convergence. And if we go to the intro blurb, Big Generator is the 12th studio album by the English rock band Yes, released on 21st September 1987 by Atco Records. After touring worldwide in support of their previous album, 90125, in 1983, which saw the band move from progressive rock towards a pop-oriented and commercially accessible direction, Yes started work on a follow-up in 1985 with producer Trevor Horn. It was a laborious album to make. Recording began in Caramate, Italy, or Caramate, probably, Italy. But internal and creative differences resulted in production to resume in London, where Horn ended his time with the band due to continuing problems. The album was completed in Los Angeles in 1987 by Rabin and producer Paul de Villiers. Big Generator received that is some... fascinating. Big... <laughs> what, that story? Sorry. The Trevor Horn stuff. Oh, yeah. Big Generator received some mixed reviews from music critics, and the album reached number 15 on the Billboard 200 and number 17 on the UK Albums chart. In April 1988, the album was certified platinum by the RIAA for selling one million copies in the U.S. Like 90125, it was nominated for a Grammy Award for Best Rock Performance by a Duo or Group with Vocal. The album spawned three singles, Love Will Find a Way, Rhythm of Love, and Final Eyes. Yes, supported Big Generator with a tour of North America and Japan from November 1987 to April 1988, after which Anderson left the group. 
The album was reissued in 2009 with bonus tracks. So there you go. And I will, again, as last episode, point anyone who is looking for additional lore to tune in uh, and look for the Yes Music podcast episode on Big Generator singles. Kevin's, you know, very brief but in-depth synopses of of the lore around these albums is unmatched. Well, Paul de Villers, or Paul de Villiers, however it's pronounced, got his big break on uh, Mr. Mister's uh, 1985 album with Broken Wings and Kyrie. Wow. Okay. Is that welcome to and the And they brought world? him in, yeah, the and they brought world? him in for 9021 live and he did such a great job that they brought him in for a big generator. I, I knew that that Trevor Horn did not finish the you know, producing this album. I wasn't necessarily aware that it had stopped and started several times and that Paul, I guess, had had been brought in after it's it seems like after Trevor had left. Um, you know, and I wasn't aware that it was quite as tortured as as it seems that it actually was. So I, I find that interesting. And I think ultimately it I don't know if 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 the the shortcomings are a cause or a symptom of this sort of production discontinuity. Okay. Okay. Is that that a segue to criticism of the album? Well, sure. Absolutely. And, and who (laughs) better, who better to do that than our friend Tom, who has been just, is, is it unfair to say that Tom has been bagging on this album for the last few weeks at this point? (laughs) He, he's bagged on a few albums and, and, you know, around noon today, I was ready to trash Big Generator. But by 8 p.m., his criticisms just wore on me. and I decided to be a, a, a staunch defender of Big Generator. Tom <laughs> says Big Generator is that sexy person at the end of the bar who looks great in low lighting. As you walk up, you're struck by the stench of cheap perfume. Um, so there appears to be some kind of issue here where from afar, big generator is fantastic. And if you get too close, it may not smell quite right. <laughs> and he continues the metaphor in terms that we cannot read live on the air. We, we really should not. He gets rather graphic. He he does use terms such as truly horrid, <laughs> dreadful. And says it's a step above union. He also calls it hellacious at best. So clearly, Tom is not a fan of this album. <laughs> all right. All right. We, we, we can defend this thing easily. Um, and I, let's have at it. Rhythm of love. So, you know... I I remember what you know. One of the things that I do vividly remember when we were going to see these shows is Paul had a fascination because I mean you guys were were playing guitar at the time, and I, I I haven't seen the video, but my understanding is that 
Paul had this fascination with seeing how Trevor played the guitar solo in Rhythm of Love. And the video did not provide him the visual evidence that he needed. And so one of one of his as I recall it, and you know, I could be totally wrong, but I think I'm right. One of his one of his main, you know, ambitions in seeing the show was to see how Trevor played that solo. That was, wow. you know, that that was the big thing for him. Uh, you know, we spent a whole lot of time last episode talking about the magic of 90125. All of the magic that came together in terms of the the songwriting, the performances, the production, everything kind of came together in this magic magic package and we we had a similar discussion when we talked about i think the the first asia album and alpha when you when you and and i i saw a quote actually from i believe it was either jeff downs or 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 john wetton talking about you know asia the first asia album just blew the doors off it and out overperformed to the point where you were never going to be able to follow that up I think 90125 did exactly the same thing. And there was probably, I'm going to guess, a lot of tension, anxiety on being able to do that. And, and so when you look at it as a whole, and, and I, I, I can kind of see that some of the basis of Tom's analogy here, Big Generator is not the perfect masterpiece that 90125 is. It doesn't sound quite right. It sounds a little thin in in a lot of places. And there's this aspect of Trevor had said if he had known that 90125 was going to be a yes album, he would have approached the songwriting differently. And Paul posited last episode, well, Trevor knew damn well that Big Generator was going to be a yes album. (laughs) And, And so... Did he, in fact, approach the songwriting differently? And I, in preparing for this episode, I think he did. And I think, in a lot of ways, Rhythm of Love is is Trevor Rabin trying to fit Trevor Rabin into the yes milieu. So you've got the whole, you know, they they realized they had some some sort of vocal magic on 90125 with the three of them. And sure. they tried to to throw that into us here. And and there's a whole lot about this. You know, you've got Trevor and his and his his guitar playing. And I mean it's 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 a great way to start the album. I, I think it really, really sets a, a very strong stage for this. Well, I mean, Trevor Horn being addicted to love. Yeah. Or I'm sorry, allergic to love. <laughs> allergic, yes. Allergic to love. <laughs> My bad. It probably was a bit of a stretch for Trevor Horn to jump in and and produce songs like The Rhythm of Love and Almost Like Love. I'm sure he held his nose through that process. The great thing about Rhythm of Love is we've got four writing credits on it, including Chris Squire, and I can hear Chris Squire's voice. most, Most of this period, you're only hearing... A, a, you know, a heck of a lot of Trevor or a heck of a lot of a John. You're not hearing much in the middle, but it's definitely a vocal trio. I hear I hear Chris Squire's voice in Rhythm, Rhythm of Love and it, it, it moves. And damn, if it didn't, you know, get on the radio and, and, and allow them to do what they do. Like, really, these two albums, 
90215, the big generator, just had to be good enough to do more live shows and tour right. and play a couple hits and then bring back the oldies. That's that's all they had to do. And and and, and they hit their goal in spades. Absolutely. No, no, no doubt. I, 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 I don't think any of the producers, I don't think the record company, I don't think any of the individuals lost any money in this process. I think they all made their mark. I do dig the way there's just a, a straight boogie and rhythm of love. And then when it gets into the halftime, it's great. And when it gets into the pet sounds, kind of Beach Boys, woo, 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 it, it really works. It's good. I like it. I feel at this point that it's like, like you said, it's it's Trevor Rabin going, all right, yes, music needs a little bit of this, a little bit of this, and oh, we got to have this section over here, and I'm Trevor <laughs> Rabin, so I've got to slay on top of it all. You know, I, yeah. again, we talked about on 9125 sort of the happy accident of the, the split vocals, right? Now they know that that's good, but they have to sort of, they have to do that on purpose, right? So they have, you know, John coming in and then Trevor coming in. And then, like you said, you can you can hear Chris in, in all of that. And I think in a lot of ways, this is a really good expression of that. Win, win, win. Three wins for three vocalists. Three wins. Absolutely. And then we go into Big Generator, which I have heard sort of less than lovingly referred to as son of owner of Lonely Heart. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> you can sort of see some structural similarities. It's it's not a, a one-to-one, but there are some some similarities. I actually think, you know, the more time I spend with this album, I think that Big Generator actually stands pretty well on its own, irrespective of Owner of Lonely Heart. I think it has its enough of its own identity that it it does well, I think. Uh, it's remarkable. I, I, I would say it's very Trevor insofar as the underlying beat is a moderate dance beat, not too fast. And he gets this syncopation in there that's pretty killer, uh, but it's not enough for him just to do a guitar syncopation on top of his straight drums. He has to have the guitar and the keyboards just kind of talk to each other in a weird way and he's really into these african synth sounds no doubt he's you know pulling from his homeland it's it, like like this synth sounds sound like uh african synth pop with a little bit of a saxophone vibe or a little bit of a an, an elephant roaring in the jungle when, when you say the album's thin maybe it's thin but it's also very spacious it's thin in, in a lot of the guitar sounds are a lot thinner than they were on nine to one two five. And I think Alan's drums in particular sound about, you know, very, very tiny in a lot of places. Yeah. And, and, and we'll get to that in in the next song. Certainly, if you didn't have to stand this up to nine one two five, would you notice that? And, and honestly, when you stand it up next to. The the next album that, that comes out, which is ABWH, I, I think ABWH suffers from a lot of the same sort of issues from a, from a sonic perspective. Oh, so we can't blame Trevor. 
I don't think we can blame Trevor. Absolutely not. And and in fact, if you listen, if you <laughs> if you think about, you know, what what Trevor has done since then, namely the the three or four songs that he has on Union and then the talk album, going thin is not Trevor's problem. Never was, no. No. Trevor Horn never went thin. If you just think about Frankie Goes to Hollywood and whatnot, he was in the meaty stuff, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I was looking at the actual booklet here, and Tony Kay is is only credited with keyboards. So I wonder if the whole... the whole Hammond organ and piano thing on the wikis is not a... I, I wonder if it's a revisionist construction of of the past or if it's actually a further elucidation of what happened because this arrangement here of of trevor playing keyboards and tony playing hammond organ and or piano is the same situation that is explicitly stated on talk and was alluded to in the wikis for 90125 so i i'm curious as to that but I will point out that Big Generator does have all five credited as songwriters on the wikis. So for me, I dig Big Generator and I remember I remember seeing the live show and during the chorus when they would sing Big Generator, John would would mime moving a big wheel. Which Oh really? Thought, yeah, I always thought that was funny. They probably won't bring that one back. You know, it's funny. I was because uh, I was thinking about what 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 new songs can ARW do, and I would like to see them do something different like that that you wouldn't really expect. But, but we'll see. If there was a Joe music song in the Yes catalog in the late '80s, "Shoot High, Aim Low." was custom made for fitting right on that little shelf it's expansive and it's it's yeah it's, it's everything that that you know kind of floats my canoe and and paul specifically calls out shoot high aim low as as a specific inspiration but this was also a song that very much resonated with me still does to this day i would love 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 to see one of the one of the groups perform this live Although I do have a certain amount of trepidation as to how this would translate live, I, I probably need to go back to Setlist FM. I'm not sure if I have seen it live before in my life or not. I found the I, version on YouTube, and it blew me away how people were cheering. Like, like oh, really? It was, yeah, like it was the next best thing to Over Lonely Heart. Like they knew it. And I was like, okay, people, yeah, you... <laughs> I'm, maybe they dubbed that in. I don't know, but they were people were pumped. <laughs> well, I think you know it's it's funny. We've had sort of this conversation with some of the other bands we've done, where and you know Marillion's a great example of this. How, in some respects, Invisible Man was a more advanced expression of the Splintering Heart motif may not be exactly the same lyrical content, but we, we talked about how, you know, it, it took over that sort of spot in the, in the, in set, the set and, 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 and the, the generally emotional impact of it. I think in a lot of ways, 
there's a song on talk called Real Love that I think is a more advanced expression that they were going for on Shoot High, Aim Low, if you had to ask me. But that doesn't take anything away from it for me. When I was listening to this, this is it's it's funny how you have these these emotional attachments. And we've talked about this before as well. This song for me was probably my gateway into all of Yes that got me into that heart of the sunrise moment. But it was probably this song on this album, driving in Paul's car all the time, that probably really started to sort of get my juices going. And even now, so many years later, this song comes on and I will just turn it up and I will sing it and I will go into this wonderful place. However, listening to it for this podcast, that sort of drum filly thing that we have there in the mid in the middle is it uh just before the solo mm. with the dun, 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 dun. it sounds if i'm being completely objective it sounds pretty puny <laughs> i mean you know it you, you've got all of this sort of ambiance and, and feeling and everything else and then you just have these teeny tiny little drums it kind of takes the wind out of the sails and, and even being able to say that objectively, I still don't care. I still love the song. I would agree. The drums could use more in that low register. Uh, the 220, whatever it is, the you know, low Hertz ranges. I queued up Paul's uh, comment here. Big generator was truly my gateway into yes. Listening with the context, if this is the follow-up to 90215, it's really quite good, though it falls short of its predecessor. Shoot high, aim low, love will find a way, and finalize literally inspired me to write songs like Your Place in Time and others. I'm running should be awesome, but it's just loud and annoying. <laughs> I couldn't be who I am without this album. I, I love that line. I couldn't be who I am without this album, but it slips lower and lower in the catalog for sure. I, I got to say, I, I love I'm Running. Of course, it's crazy noisy. We'll, we'll get to that. Um, but uh, no doubt, um, Shoot High, Aim Low came up in conversation uh, with Paul all the time uh back in the day he had the shirt i just remember i i just just hearing this song and picturing paul wearing the shirt <laughs> yeah that's right cruising the halls of high school you know i love the suspended the a suspended the first chords really only a three chord song it's just beautiful um it's just i love the sound there is like a wacky thing going on with the lyrics where, you know, it, it, Trevor Rabin is, is pulling it in one direction. He, he's got a steel guitar and he's serenading someone. It's going to be a love song. And then and John's turning it into some kind of karma Armageddon. So you don't, know, don't really know what's going on here. And then Tre Tre Trevor admits at the end that the, the blue sedan didn't get much further and it may, may have been devastating for all involved. It may have been. And you know what? I don't even care. And it may be that sort of fundamental lack of coherence that I love so much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're, they're just, 
this is their second album together. They're saying, you sing whatever you want. I'll sing whatever I want. Let's make your shit up. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. And I mean, given the fact that, that John ended up leaving after this, you know, and, uh, who knows what was going on? It was probably interesting. It's too bad because the back half is almost, you know, an Anderson solo album. There's just, just some really gorgeous Anderson moments. In that, well, and the, I, the last three pieces. Which is which is interesting when you look at, you know, the 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 second half of the album. You you well, I mean, you've got you've got one song that has four writers credited, one song that has five, but Trevor is listed as the lead writer on three of the four on the back half of the album. Yeah, yeah. So I I and I always thought that the, the back half of this album was was really was really this idea of Trevor trying to do yes. I said that Rhythm of Love was was sort of like the smorgasbord, but it was still, you know, it, it, I think it was a lot more Trevor than it was yes, if you will. But I, I think when you talk about Love Will Find a Way, I certainly finalize and I'm running, this is where you've got Trevor sort of really trying to not necessarily recreate but to a certain extent echo 1970s yes sure sure but before we get there we have to go through almost like love which is not that <laughs> i don't even know what it like if you asked me to sing it on a street corner i wouldn't be able to uh, all i know is that i listened to it and didn't so much work for me. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's one of those it's 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 a song that you just sort of pass through on your way to other things. Yeah, I remember not, not liking the lyrics, like almost like love could just be a reference to something not so great. Well, and, and when you think about the, the the three love songs on this album, Rhythm of Love, Almost Like Love and Love Will Find a Way. Almost like love is is clearly the distant third here. Yeah, it's weird. And Tony K got a credit on this one. In fact, you know, for whatever reason, he's listed first. First, yeah. I'm just wondering if I would like it with other lyrics. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting question. I, I don't know. So if we move beyond that, though, into love will find a way. Dare I say this is one of the classic tracks off this this record yes i'm not sure why they needed the string quartet at the beginning but damn that guitar arpeggio is just anthemic yeah it, it really really is and i think this is for trevor this is a spectacular vocal performance and and this is you know there there are two songs in this album that are credited with the single songwriter this is credited to trevor and then Holy Lamb is credited to John solely. Yep. You know, recently when I, I found that that Trevor Rabin album on vinyl and it, it there's nothing on that album that would make you think of 90125, Big Generator, anything he did with with Yes or even the the solo album he had Don't Look Away after this. There's there's nothing on that that would suggest that Trevor Rabin was capable of doing the things that he did. It was a lot more obvious, if that's the right word, 
But I think clearly Trevor Rabin had had grown up. He had spent time, you know, over the last four or five years with with Chris Squire and Alan White and and Tony and John, which had an influence. And when you look at this song, it's like, you know, I, I think in a lot of ways, this is probably the, the truest expression of of Trevor. And it's oh, beautiful. No I, I absolutely love everything about this song. The production features three balanced voices in the verses, which I love. It, it really worked for the radio. It really worked for their image. Um, you know, I would say changes presents itself as Trevor taking the limelight. I would say this presents itself as Trevor sharing the limelight. Okay. And it's just, it's just gorgeous what they do with the harmonies. And yeah, it's, it's got the, it's got the obligatory halftime part when it breaks down. And that's equally gorgeous. Right. And, and I think, you know, it, it's that it's those parts where at the end of um, is it the verse of the chorus where Trevor just sings, you know, away all by himself. That's really like, oh, I love it. Yeah. I mean, and, and not to take away from from the three of them, because I think this is this is one of those cases where, like I said, on this album, they had to recreate that sort of vocal magic on purpose. And I think they did it very well here. Oh, yeah. The worst criticism we could get on this was Jay. And he has no idea why they had to put in this. I eat it. Shay new nonsense. That just doesn't really float his boat. <laughs> that was that was a uh, that was a rhyming thing, though, wasn't it? Yeah, I think this falls into the better beer category. Ah, Something similar, yes, indeed. The better beer we decided was um, dual meaning or sarcasm. I eat a chain new. It's just goofy for the sake of being goofy. Why? Well, but it rhymes. That's all that matters. Yeah, yeah. It, and it, it it killed it on the radio. Okay, so now we're into uh, finalize, I guess. You know, I just have to give props to. Uh, Paul, you know, he made reference to his song, Your Place in Time, jumping out of this. And it was a an, an epic for us. We loved playing it. He had another one, Waiting for You, that was just fantastic. And I didn't know where he was pulling these influences from. <laughs> um, and, now, and now I know. Um, I, I just love that... Uh, approach to the guitar um particularly trevor rabin does some really great things with clean guitars uh that i think were very in influential at the time uh, a lot of single note picking uh and even when he's distorted it, it's never too crazy i forgot to criticize uh the first track rhythm of love the beginning of the solo is a huge mistake. He, he's doing some kind of finger tapping and it just sounds like an alarm going off on a ski ball <laughs> machine. It sounds like absolute crap. It's just, just, just <laughs> a complete gimmick. It does not belong in the yes catalog anywhere. So if you want to fault, you know, Trevor for getting gimmicky in places, 
that that would be an example. But he makes up for it in spades in other parts of the album. Well, I mean, if you, if you're going to bring Trevor Raven to the party, Trevor Raven is and wants to be a rock god. That's just <laughs> that's you know that's 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 I think that's who he is. I mean, even even to this day. I mean, I, how old's the guy, you know, and, and doesn't stop him. He just loves being a rock god. And he can do it, so I'm okay. And it's funny because there are some magical moments, I think, where you get to hear Trevor and Chris playing together. And there are some instances in Final Eyes where just the tone of the guitar and bass together, it's it's like this sort of magical amalgam. Agreed. It, it, it's got a huge positivity and a huge movement to it that I like. I finally broke my will on late period Rush when I found that some of the albums were nice uh, for running. And uh, Big Generator broke my will during some uh, yoga at home. And just beautiful positivity uh, on these last three tracks. You know, that's that's another part about this. And and I guess, you know, that that positivity in in final eyes, there's something captivatingly beautiful about it. I, I can't really describe it. Yeah. And even that end right there, you know, it just ends with that. I'm so in love with you. And you're just like, yeah, OK, I love it. And then we, we were left with with I'm running. Oh, I'm running. I, I, it, I, I tend to agree with you, but I can see where it might wear some people out at the same time. Uh, fair enough. We, we, we get to hear Chris on bass, which, which this period isn't really known for. He, yeah, you know? I mean, the, the, the Chris Squire on bass in this period is very, very subtle. To say the least, that's not to say that Chris doesn't have his moments where, you know, like I said, he doesn't remind us that he's Chris Squire. But here it's just like, oh, OK, yeah, I, I better kick some ass here for a little bit. And so he does, which is always nice to to have. And I think in a lot of ways. I'm running tries to point, I think, more towards the going for the one type. Yes, maybe more so than close to the edge type yes oh okay when it when it gets into the meat of the song sure in, in the beginning they're all over the place <laughs> um and i i brought up the issues with cultural appropriation possibly on 90215 uh but th there's a latin vibe it really doesn't need to be there. You know, it's like, oh, yeah. Raven has some Latin chops on guitar, you know, exploit those chops in a spot <laughs> with no context and no need. <laughs> um, but th but then once it gets going, uh, yeah, yeah, it, it, it harkens to a place where yes is comfortable. And, and I, 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 I'll go with you. Um, uh, you said going for the one. Yeah, sure, sure. So I wonder, and I need to brush up on my lore more as it as it pertains to this this change of producers and sort of the torturous means of making this album and what was recorded when and where and how ultimately this led John to leave the group. But I, I wonder if some of this 
over amalgamation isn't part of that story. Because even just listening to the to you know the way Trevor Horn told the story about Owner of a Lonely Heart, from the very beginning there was sort of a tension, it seems, between the two Trevors on what they wanted and how they wanted it to go. Yeah, I would imagine after the huge success of 90125, it didn't it, it wasn't any easier sort of producing Trevor Rabin at that point, if I had to guess. Oh, I see. Yeah. Trevor's got all the ideas, he's got all the keyboards, He's knows how to push all the buttons. But overall, I find I'm running to be a very enjoyable piece. I can understand, in some respects, maybe where Tom is coming from, or, or, or things that maybe he doesn't like. I, I, I personally expressed today that I thought it was unfair to use some of the extraordinarily harsh language that that tom did i i get if maybe you don't like some of the production or maybe some of these you know seemingly incongruous elements kind of popping out of nowhere might put you off maybe my attachment to this album is is wholly emotional but i i i just i like trevor rabin yes i i i don't have any any logical explanation for it i just like it and i like (laughs) i I like the back half of this album as well i will say that i wish alan white took this more in a drama direction i feel that drama is the peak of alan white and he he clearly found his own in terms of his his style and his his velocity and his volume his power but also getting crafty you know making different phrases he's not crafty here now, maybe well, that's because he's playing along with a click and a drum machine. And we had a couple of moments in the last episode where we were sort of surprised. Hey, listen to what Alan's doing. And, oh, Alan's, you know, doing some great stuff over here. And, and you're right. There, there is not really any of those moments here. And the one time where it's Alan's turn to shine on Shoot High, Aim Low, we already talked about how underwhelming that particular section is. Yeah, yeah, it's not bad. It just doesn't make it into the modern drummer magazine sounds of all time. And it's this is a period where you've got in the air tonight and Biko, you know, come on. Right. Yeah, exactly. And then there is Holy Lamb, Song for Harmonic Convergence. Indeed. I have an, an, it's sort of an interesting history with Holy Lamb. In the beginning, I don't know that I thought twice about it. And then it occurred to me that it was very John Anderson-y. And oh, isn't that cute? And then at some point, I heard the story. Probably wasn't Yes Years. That's where I, I saw a lot of these interviews in that video from the Union Tour. But there, there's a there's a an interview and a quote from Trevor where he talks about this song specifically and how he, Trevor Rabin, was having a difficult time getting this song to sound right. But he also knew and understood that it was very important to John. And so Trevor put a lot of effort into doing this song. And given everything that I thought I had known about Trevor Rabin, I thought that story was somewhat remarkable. 
And it started me sort of paying more attention to this song. And the first thing I found when I went back with this sort of story in my head was, well, what was so hard to get right? It, it, yeah. at, at first blush, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot going on in this song that would require extraordinary effort on the part of Trevor Rabin. Then I was struck by it's really quite a beautiful sounding song. I like sort of the feeling that it creates at the end of the record. Then as I got older, I started paying attention to the lyrics more, and I find the lyrics to be positively moving. I find myself resonating with these lyrics. And then as we were doing the palaver and saying all the things that we said about John Anderson and his lyrics and and his obtuseness and everything else, it occurred to me just fairly recently as I was preparing for this, Holy Lamb is probably the high water mark in terms of John Anderson lyricist. He gets his message across clearly, but it's not obvious in the way of don't kill the whale. It still maintains this sort of ethereal beauty to it that is tough to get a hold on, but you know it's there. I don't know, and I started thinking about it. Just a few days ago, and I haven't come across any example since or before that that John does as good a job with the lyrics. The more I spend with this this song, and I've been listening to this song for however many years at this point, it still continues to grow in my estimation. It's amazing. Wow. I would say in terms of the amount of work required between Trevor and John, it sounds like it would have been composed as just John with his guitar. And he has that, you know, unique way of of barring chords and that unique way of strumming with his fingers. It's a softer delivery than Trevor is capable of. Uh, But ultimately on the recording, it sounds like you know, Trevor with a pick and a steel string. So I would guess if there was a translation there, it would have been from one technique to another and particularly zeroing in and finding the right rhythms to enhance the vocal because it's not, it's not a simple eighth note strum that just mindlessly repeats. There's breath in there. There are rests and you would have to really master the phrases that John was building. Clearly, John Anderson, in, in terms of writing music, far different from Trevor Rabin. So that's that's excellent insight. Outstanding. The other thing that I, as I was listening, I've been listening to a lot of, uh, of Live Yes from around the, the early 2000s right now. One of the things that strikes me is the almost effortless beauty that arises when John and Rick do something together with just the two of them. And there's that album, I believe it's called The Living Tree, that they had done. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I love The Living Tree done live. That's that one of the releases that they did. Yeah. So so The Living Tree and they played they played the meeting on a lot of these, you know, early 2000s concerts. And and that those two just sort of seem when, when they're in sync it, it seems effortless and gorgeous. 
Holy Lamb, I think, is as gorgeous, but clearly isn't as effortless. For a, a, a three-minute and change song at the end of an album that musically seems rather simple, I'm amazed and pleased at how much I keep getting from this song. To me, it's amazing. I will concur. It just fit perfectly into my yoga. I bet it did. <laughs> Including the rest of John's catalog. I should just, you know, make a, a playlist that's all John. So that brings us here to the end of Big Generator and for time, the end of Yes. Because at this point now, John is going to leave and John is going to explicitly try to recreate the magic of mid to late 70s yes by forming abwh and we'll get to that in in the next episode personally i would have very much liked to have seen this lineup of yes continue on for several albums but that is not the way that yes generally operates you know how many albums did yes do at a time before they had a change in in lineup they probably only maxed out at three with the same lineup, if I had to guess, just sort of off guess, the top of yeah. my head. And that would have been, that would have been fragile. Well, no, not even fragile and close to the edge had Bruford. And then they went to tails with Allen relayer had Patrick. They had Tormato or going for the one in Tormato. Then they switched again. They had drama. They had two with this lineup. They had the union lineup. They went back to this lineup for talk. Yeah, they they get two albums with a particular lineup. And then they had to switch something out. Yeah. We were never going to get more out of this out of this group. But it would <laughs> I would have liked to have seen how they would have sort of grown together. Especially when you think about you know, if, if 90125 was the unexpected magic and this was sort of the the settling in period, you know, I, I think they would have reached some sort of more stable equilibrium, perhaps going forward. And if you look at Trevor's Can't Look Away and some of the stuff that wound up on Union, I, you know, I think you can kind of see a little bit. And of course, this is where Billy Sherwood comes in, which is another interesting story. So any other thoughts? on big generator as a whole I, I again I, i'm i'm impressed and fascinated ken that you know I, I was expecting you to come in in the tom camp and, and bash this and over the course of of today <laughs> you you pulled a pretty much 180 yeah i did i did you know 15 minutes on and off of some handstands against the wall so in an upside down world this album makes a lot of sense <laughs> well maybe <laughs> Maybe we need to recommend that to Tom, <laughs> although I don't know that we're going to get him to ever press play on this album again. <laughs> so that brings us to the end of Big Generator. This has been definitely fun. I look forward, as I said, to going into ABWH. Ken, I thank you so much for coming along on this, uh, this Joseph, lean version. And uh, we, will, we will be back next episode where we dive deeper into the Yes Catalog. 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Progressive Palaver. We hope you've enjoyed the conversation. This was a fun one to do. And as I suggested, I look forward to talking about the next few albums in this sequence as well. We look forward to your thoughts, your questions, your comments on Big Generator. And we encourage you to reach out to us through the various social media means available. That would be Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We are at Progpala, P-R-G-P-A-L-A. On each of those, or search for Progressive Palaver. And you can email us. Our email address is progpala at gmail.com. Progressive Palaver is, as always, available for download and subscription on both iTunes and Google Play, and we are hosted on SoundCloud. So until next time, thanks for listening.